I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. Did you know that the late Paul Lynn only played Uncle Arthur on Bewitched a total of 11 times? It's mentioned because most people think that he was much more of a regular on that 1964 to 1972 series, but he wasn't. And that is the enduring power of Paul Lynn. Whether he was being magically punny with Elizabeth Montgomery or offering up rapid-fire quips on the Hollywood squares, the warmth generations of TV viewers feel for him continues some 38 years after his passing. Today, we're celebrating the memory of Paul Lynn. And to do so, we're turning to friend and co-star Karen Valentine, probably best known for our Emmy-winning turn as teacher Alice Johnson on the critically acclaimed series Room 222. While it's no secret that Paul had his demons, as Karen conveys in this conversation, those demons were born from personal pain. And understanding that allowed her to never lose her empathy for or friendship with him. I guess I could start at the beginning of when I first met him. Sure. You know, it, uh, we did a TV movie together called Digit Grows Up. Right. And uh, he played uh, my landlord, because uh, I worked at the UN and uh, a guide at the UN. And so I had two roommates. And so the three of us lived in his boarding house. And he was the, the landlord. So his character, he was a child actor. Uh, who has all grown up, obviously, but still stuck in, in like the 30s, you know? Right. He loved like Evelyn Twelve Trees, and, and there are all these different lines that he had that were so funny. And he was very supportive to us, and and, uh, and in the plot of it, his film uh, saves the day, you know? So <laughs> anyway, meeting him was a treat, because I, you know, I knew who he was and, and had thought he was just so funny. I just fell in love with him when I met him. I just thought, oh my God, he's so much fun because he is so he was so deeply deeply funny just sitting around talking his views on things and 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 all and uh, and then a couple of years later I was uh you know on Hollywood Squares with him and my favorite story Ed is when it was the earthquake the uh they call it the Silmar earthquake or it's the San Fernando uh uh, Valley earthquake. It happened like at six o'clock in the morning. It was a 6.1. It was pretty devastating. Okay. And uh, it, I woke up to it. You know, there were sirens oh, and wow. it was crazy. And we taped that night and uh, we were going to do five shows that, that very night of the earthquake. And, you know, show business, the show must go on. So, I, oh my God, I'm so shook. I mean, the, 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 the uh, fireplace was like an inch away from the house uh, where I was, I was living in Burbank then. And uh, it was, it, and all the black soot had come into the house. It was chaos. And, uh, but anyway, we reported for work. And um, in the middle of taping, we had, and there were a lot of those aftershocks, you know, and you, you know how the set was built with the scaffolding. Yeah. You know, you could, you, the thing kind of rocked when people walked up it because you, there were two spiral staircases to get to the top in the middle uh, tier. And um, we're in the middle of taping and an aftershock hits and it's a long one. And we are swaying. And, and the producers, Heater and Quigley, are down in the front row going, you know, giving us, keep going, keep going, keep going. And oh, Paul's looking at him and said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so Peter brought it to a halt. Everything grind to a halt. And Paul was always, always dieting because he had a weight 
thing that he always had to keep a, keep a finger on and, you know, keep it in check. And so he immediately got down from the, the scaffolding and went to the candy machine. And he came back in that particular, because I, I sat next to him a lot on that show because we had a lot of interchange and stuff. But that particular night, I was below him. I was on the bottom rung. And so um, we all kind of moved away from the scaffolding and things quieted down and, and they brought us back into tape. And so I got back into my place, always doing what I was told, you know, there in, uh, sitting and he comes in, he walks in and he's got an armload of snicker bars and M&Ms and, you know, everything from, he, he unloaded the candy machine, I think. <laughs> and he walks by me and he sees me sitting there and I'm looking at him and I'm at, at, at all of his arms, his arms filled with these candies. And he looked at me and he said, Oh, you're so young to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I laughed until I was crying and and so did everyone else, you know, and 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 that's what he was like, you know, he could deliver a line and that's just in real life. It wasn't written for him. It's just right. it was his humor. We used to go to dinner between the third and um fourth show. Sometimes we'd have dinner there in the studio, but then sometimes we'd walk across to this restaurant that was Chadney's. Uh, and I don't think it's there. I think the building might be there, but it's a, a Mexican restaurant now or something, but it was pretty popular in those days. So we would come out of the studio and right there, and what is it, like Olive and um, Boulevard, uh, but it's a very, you know, it's zip, 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 it's like a freeway practically. And there was no crosswalk, so we would have to make our way across. So there's all this traffic going across, and he looks at me and he goes, go ahead, you can make it. (laughs) (laughs) Just run into the traffic, you know. So there was these little comments that he would always, you know, come up with. He was a deeply, deeply funny man. And the best times were sitting around, you know, with him, with him uh, talking. What people don't talk about, I think, is his elegance, that he had the most elegant taste. His house was extremely gorgeous. It was in Architectural Digest, you know, and it was beautiful. And that was, and that, that was one of two houses I knew. One was up in the, you know, in the Hollywood Hills in the Bird uh, Streets up there above Sunset Boulevard. And the other one was down in Beverly Hills. I think it was on Maple Drive. I could be wrong about the street. It was so long ago. But it was in the flats of Beverly Hills. And both houses were designed and decorated to the nines. Absolutely gorgeous. And he, he was flamboyant. And then he had an elegant side, the flamboyant side, you know, wore a lot of caftans and pith helmets and, you know, and things like that. And we were we were good friends, you know, and had a lot of laughs together. He'd come to our, our house for dinner and, and uh, uh, my husband and I, Gary, we were invited to, to his house. And, uh, uh, you know, I know everyone talks about his dark side, which he definitely. Yeah definitely had. He did have his demons. In fact, he threw me out of his house one night after dinner and threw his hat after me. And I don't know, he was ranting about something and I kept the hat. And, and I later said, you're never getting this hat back, you know. I mean, you know, the next day, nothing was wrong. <laughs> so, wow. so it was that kind of, he was, he would, could be volatile. And, uh, but I just adored him. He, he just absolutely made me laugh so much. And um, we traveled uh, together. You know, the Hollywood Squares were always invited on these. Well, they were like promotional tours. We went to like uh, Bouchard Gardens in Canada, 
we went to Jamaica between Christmas and New Year's of one year. And the, the, the guest list of, you know, the Hollywood Squares celebrities that went were, you know, George Goebel and Jonathan Winters and uh, Art Fleming was on the trip, Rosemary, Rita Moreno. Uh, it just, the list goes on. Uh, Leslie Uggams was there. So it was a real diverse group of folks and everything and every little thing we had to do we had to line up for and you know Hollywood people aren't really used to waiting in line you know you just kind of go to the head of the line when you're you know celebrity (laughs) yes so some people would complain and bitch about it but not never Paul and never Jonathan Winters and I have to say being stuck in a line with Paul Lynn and Jonathan Winters was the treat of a lifetime <laughs> with them riffing together, the respect they had for one another, I thought was, you know, astounding and wonderful. Uh, and, and, and we laughed and we, you didn't want the line to, you know, you wanted to just stay in line. It right. just was, it was a, a total entertainment, you know? And one of my favorite moments was new year's Eve. Paul said, you know, come to my place and we'll, we'll have a drink before we go. And, and then we'll walk to the ballroom and, and, and all so on our walk, you know, he's wearing a full white caftan with tons of gold jewelry and sandals. And and Jonathan is wearing like a, a yachting outfit. He's got the snappy hat and the blazer, you know, navy blue, fits perfectly, white pants and, and everything. In storage somewhere, I have this photo. I don't have it with me or else I would send it to you. But right. he... Um, we're walking along, you know, I'm next to him and, and my husband's on my other side and then Paul and then Jonathan. So Jonathan had come up while we were walking abreast like that. And, and he looks at him and he says, obviously you're from the Holy land. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was being around that kind of humor and and all that was of the in those days was just I mean an amazing amazing treat and uh you know a gift that that I felt I was given you know Absolutely. But like I said the the respect they had for each other riffing with each other and laughing at each other's jokes you know uh they had such respect and I I was quite impressed by that so Anyway, that's about it. You know what? What I remember, I miss him. I I, I always miss him yeah. because he was so funny. So, Absolutely. So funny. Well, yeah. I have a couple of follow up questions, if that's okay, uh, based on sure. what you said. Uh, yeah. One of them being, uh, you know, you talked about his house, and I just watched an A and E biography of him from years ago. And uh-huh. Kate Ballard was quoted as saying, "Like, yeah, his house was beautiful, but you weren't allowed to touch anything." And and you had yeah. a, one time he had us sitting outside in the backyard because he didn't want us to touch anything. It was like, are you kidding? You invite <laughs> us over for dinner and we're sitting in the backyard? <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't know if Kay was just being funny, but but I remember sitting at his dining room table and it was gorgeous and it was a catered affair, you know, and all. But I, I never I never got that feeling with oh, okay. him. Uh, I never I never never felt that. Okay. I, if, and if it happened, it went over my head. Maybe I was right. just insensitive, you know? <laughs> touching things, <laughs> yeah, you didn't was, care, you just kept touching I just head. thought he was being funny. I just thought he was being funny, probably. Inside, he's like, you know? get off my couch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I never I never got a, 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 an order like that Good. when I was at his house. <laughs> and if I did, I probably would have thought he was just being hysterical, right. you know, just being funny. Absolutely. Now, you also brought up the point, which a lot of people have, obviously, you read the, read the piece, uh, about the demons that, that Paul had. Yeah. And you even had the thing where he threw you out and threw the hat at you and all that stuff. 
what is it? What was it about Paul, though, that he could have those demons and become what has been described as a truly nasty drunk? Yeah. And yet people still wanted to be with him despite the pain he caused. Why was what was that about him? I then? think it's because it was pain he was feeling, you know, and uh, that's how he was working through it. Not the best choice to make. I think he was lonely in a way. And maybe in his eyes, he wasn't achieving what he wanted to achieve, but uh, he was so popular. He did like every, every TV show, uh, you oh, know, yeah. Donnie and Marie and, and uh, Bewitched. I mean, he's known, I mean, just Uncle Arthur, Uncle Arthur, you know, and what? He didn't do that many He did of like those 11 shows, episodes or something. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and the show was on for how many years, Ed? I yep. mean, was it on for like 10? Something many, like that, nine or 10 seasons. It went through two Darrens, yep. you know? Um, but his, he was so memorable and so funny. He was, one, he was an original, he was one of a kind. Um, except, I mean, for Alice Ghostly. I mean, they were like brother and sister. Oh, I got so to weird say. watching them together. <laughs> really, re- to be in the same room is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like, are you, are you related? I mean, you've got to be related, you know? But uh, anyway, I think he was unsatisfied with himself. I mean, I know he fought his weight. He had series that didn't go. And I think some of the series, why they didn't go is because he was cast as a father, a traditional. Against the reality of his situation. Exactly. Yeah. And in those days, they didn't take advantage of it. He could play, you know, the, the, the funny uncle or something like that, something, someone, uh, you know, eccentric and everything. And, and they'd get that. But to be a traditional father, not by Bertie, he was the father, but he was disgruntled about the way things, everything was going. So that worked. But that's one kind of moment and in a series that you go the character has to have legs and so and, and I don't think they ever tapped in to his magic of what he what he could do you know of the funniness it was just trying to fit him in a box that wasn't where he where he fit and that I think in in turn might have might have affected him and uh you know feeling stuck uh and not being able to be free and yeah. uh, and so I think maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I'm not a you know, professional psychologist, but he had his demons and he he would fight them. And um, and but when he was on Ed, he was like the best. He was the greatest. He was he was just hilarious just to be around him in real life when he was wasn't drinking. Um, he would uh, he'd be hysterical right. and, and deeply funny. So and it sounds like you had despite the demons, you had empathy for him. And I guess that's what allowed you to forgive those dark moments. Yeah, I think so. I think you knew it was the alcohol talking. I don't think, you know, you ever thought it was him talking. It was like he was flailing out against himself, really. Do you know? Yeah. It seemed like to me, but uh, I'm not a psychologist. Right. But I adored him. I absolutely adored him. Well, that that raises the issue, too. It's not the issue. The question it's like, and and I wonder what it is about him that here we are in 2020, 38 mm. years after he died. And for instance, when my article posted on him, the responses I have gotten so many, like not to me directly, but yeah. the article has gotten so many responses and mm-hmm. shares and everything else, like almost a thousand shares online and stuff, wow. yeah. which is a lot. And I just wonder, what is it about Paul, though, that here we are 38 years later and people still give a damn? I don't know. I think it, it, one of the hardest things in the world is to make people laugh 
and forget about their 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 problems. And he had that gift. And I think that uh, he touched us. You know, those of us who loved him and loved his work uh, touched us in a very deep way. And that humor and you know, humor comes out of pain a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> and many many times, and the way people grew up, that was their uh, how they escaped their their bad childhoods and everything was through. Uh, comedy. And I think there's something innate that we relate to with that. And that's, I think, where you forgive is because you think this is coming from when the bad behavior would happen. This is coming from something else that right. he's he's dealing with. And this is his pain, you know, so and, it, and not take it personally because he could be a bad boy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He could be a bad boy. But the audience, it's funny, they just, they didn't know, especially back then, but I mean, even if they read about it, it's not the same thing as experiencing the darkness. So they all seem to still be remembering the joy and the laughter 38 years Mm -hmm. after his passing. And that to me is wonderful. I mean, that says a lot about him. Right. And fans never, I don't think, saw that, you know. I mean, you they just saw the fun stuff, the you know, the, the performances, the deeply funny performances that he gave and uh, the characters that he created. You know, that that's what you remember. You remember that stuff because it because it touches you and makes you makes you laugh. And 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 it's, that's one of the hardest things to do is to make people laugh. Paul Lynn was definitely one of the greats, and his talent is missed to this day. The good news is you don't have to miss this podcast. Subscribe, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.